Thank you, Paulette. I don't know Paulette particularly well, but what I do know is she takes care of everybody. That's what I know. I just I see her at our house. I see her. She takes care of Mamma. I just I see her around, and she does, <laughs> I think she takes care of a lot of people. So I appreciate that. Um, thankful to be with you today. I've had two years to prepare this, so it ought to be pretty good. Um, yeah, I've got plenty of time, so uh, it is an honor to be with you today. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what all you will take from this. Um, I hope, my hope and prayer is that something uh, that's said will help you as you continue your faith journey. You know, I'm going to share a lot about my faith journey. Uh, it's been really interesting in a lot of ways. I'm, and so I uh, look forward to that. I'm a very sentimental person. Uh, I was really interesting. At, you know, Andy Griffith is just a, gr- a great show. And so when I watched him growing up and when I had a son, I cried every time I watched Opie. So that's kind of where I am. So I don't know. I could tear up at any mo- moment. So anyway, uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, I, there's three parts. Of, I don't know what time I have to finish. Uh, got about 35 minutes. Okay, okay. And I'll hope to have some time at the end if you have any questions, because I'm sure there will be some. Um, There's three parts of what I'm going to share with you today. I'm going to kind of give you an overview of my life that's kind of just factual, just kind of understanding a little bit. Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about the Enneagram for a few minutes. Raise your hand if you're familiar somewhat with the Enneagram. Okay. Uh, it's a very interesting study, and I'll get into that a little bit more in the, in the middle. And then the main part of what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to kind of go back through my life and talk about my faith journey from when I was born to where I am now. So those are the three parts. First part, I was actually born in Cookville, Tennessee in 1961. Uh, my mom, uh, I was born to, to my mom and my dad. My dad was a professional golfer. And he actually left home when I was one. So I grew up mainly with my mother and my grandmother. Uh, We had, my mom was one of seven, so we had an unbelievable extended family. At, At Thanksgiving, Christmas, every time, you know, various times of the weekend, we had all the cousins. We had lots and lots of cousins with seven children, and they all had three or four children each. So we had so much fun together. But I can tell you that my mother and my grandmother are the two best women I've ever met. Um, I would probably consider them legalistic, and I'll tell you a little bit about that too, but unbelievably loving unbelievably loving so it was so much that I didn't have a dad for eight years and I'll get into that in a minute but I never knew that you know I look back and part of that has to do with the Enneagram that I am um, but I didn't I, I never really felt like I was from a broken home we, we attended Willow Avenue Church of Christ in Cookville for the first nine years of my life uh, mom was extremely faithful uh, still very faithful. Uh, and so, we, like I said, we had a lot. I was, I was around two very strong women growing up in my life. That's probably why I'm as sentimental as I am, you know. Um, 
when I was nine, my mom uh, met a man in Omaha at a conference because she was working for Tennessee Tech University. And he worked for, I'm going to call it Memphis State because that's what I've always called it. For those of Memphis, have you, you got any Memphis people in here? All right. So Memphis State, I still have a hard time calling it University of Memphis because I went to all the games when I was little. But my, my stepdad, who I've always called dad, okay, I didn't really like him too much at nine when he moved me from Cookville to Memphis until I got to Memphis and I went to all the Memphis State games, a little bit bigger than Tennessee Tech. We went to all the football games, all the basketball games. <clears throat> he was a, he's always been a dad. He's still living. He's always been my dad. I've always called him dad. Um, he worked as a vice president at Memphis State. We attended church at Nine Arnold Church of Christ, which is now Forest Hill Irene. Very legalistic. Okay, I didn't know it. I didn't know that that was legalistic for such a long time, but it's very legalistic church, uh, in, in in doctrine and everything. Uh, as I told you, I never looked at my childhood as I came from a broken home. I was around so much love that never really crossed my mind. Even though I didn't really have a, I knew who my dad was. He'd come to visit a few times, but part of it was because my mom told him not to be around. You know, uh, so anyway which I totally understand. Um, I went to Harding Academy in Memphis, as did my wife. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, I started going there in eighth grade. I was really active in sports. I mean, I played basketball. I played golf consistently all through throughout high school, actually, and throughout college. Um, I was a rule follower. I was, in, I was in a very strict, strict home, lots of rules, but I was a rule follower. I never really rebelled. I thought that's, I just followed rules. I had rules, so I followed them. Um, I had a very strong faith. I was very active at my school. I spoke in chapel. Uh, I was a really a leader at my school. Uh, once again, I was very legalistic and did not know it. But I came to know that soon. Um, I had a faith where I like, when I was going to college, I was recruited in basketball, and so I prayed constantly that God would lead me to where I was supposed to be. And so I ended up, almost came to David Lipscomb College at that time, Coach Meyer. He recruited me hard, and, uh, but I ended up at Harding University. Uh, when I was young, I always knew that I wanted to be a coach. I, I, I've known since probably in elementary school that I wanted to be a coach. Uh, I love basketball. I love I love golf as well, but I love the idea of molding young men and teaching them how to be the person God called them to be, as well as the strategy involved in basketball, which I loved a great deal. Um, what was really interesting, though, this is a side I was not involved at all with my youth group. I didn't do anything. I had so many strong Christian friends in all at Harding Academy that we had our, I mean, I guess to name all my friends from then, we had said we were all strong Christian guys. At least they were when they were around me, let me put it that way. I found out <laughs> later, maybe not so much, but you know. But there were, but, but, but so many of them are really faithful today. They've been faithful throughout their lives. And so we had such a strong group, I didn't have the need to do the youth group. And I, I look back now and think, that's kind of strange because I didn't do really anything with my degree, even though I spoke at my church. I was very active at Harding Academy, but I didn't get involved, which is, I think, I don't, I don't really know why other than the fact that 
the people that were at my church really didn't have a lot of common with me outside of being a Christian. Okay. Um, I accepted a basketball scholarship to Harding University in 1979. Um, I played basketball and golf all four years of college. Uh, I made all conference in both, and it was I loved it. I, I really did love it there. The one thing I hated and still hate to this day, I hate losing. <laughs> I hate. I hate losing way more than I love winning. And uh, that's always been a driver for me. Our basketball team in college was not very good, and it was hard for me. Like, I remember after games, sneaking out, and my mom and dad, stepdad, came to every game. Four years at, Har- at Searcy, Arkansas. They were in Memphis. So the closest drive they had was two hours and ten minutes. And they would drive seven. They, my mom missed, she was in the hospital one stretch. I think she missed two or three games in four years. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about home. I'm talking about home and away. I think my dad missed one game the whole time. So I'm an only child. So I, I felt the love and support. Uh, but our basketball team stunk. <laughs> we weren't very good. And it was hard. And I remember walking up the back stairs to the dorm so I wouldn't see anybody because I hated to lose. Our golf team was really good. We went to the national championship twice, and that was really fun to enjoy that. And I had a lot of great friends in basketball as well. I just had a hard time with the not winning. As soon as we, I graduated, I got married right out after college when I was 22. Uh, the girl I married uh, was also 22. We had been the Harding together for four years. Um, so after we, I lost my spot. So we moved to Memphis. I became a graduate assistant for Coach Dana Kirk at Memphis State University in 1983-84. She was a teacher, so she went to work teaching. So we lived in Memphis, and I was at uh, GA for one year. Back in the day, if you're any basketball fans, Keith Lee and Doom Haynes, Baskerville Holmes, they got some really cool names. Uh, Andre Turner. Anyway, they had a great team. Uh, This has nothing to do with anything, but I still remember when I walked out of the tunnel at the, and we were in the Sweet 16 game, I looked to the side of me and I looked up and I said, oh my gosh, that's the biggest man I've ever seen. It was Akeem Olajuwon. He was standing right there and I was like, wow, he was chiseled. Anyway, I just thought of that. That was not in my notes. Uh, this was the first time in nine years that I had not been in a Christian environment. I spent five years at Harding Academy, four years at Harding University, super sheltered. I was super sheltered and didn't know it. So all of a sudden I'm out in the real world and it's a little bit different than what I thought. Um, So the following year I got hired at Bartlett High School. They were coming off a fantastic 2-24 year with two forfeit wins, I think. I don't think they won a game, but I think they got two forfeits. So I got hired there in 1984. I actually spent 19 years at Bartlett. Uh, I actually loved it. Uh, Bartlett was a great, great place for me. So much so that my dog I've named Bartlett, and he's a big Bernie doodle. So, um, so after a year at Bartlett, so I've been married now two years, uh, Lisa and I had a son named Adam. Adam was born in March of 1985. Uh, one year later, when Adam was one, Remember what happened to me at one? Lisa left home. 
So I come home in early April of 1986. I, my years kind of get out of place. And she's there. Everything else is gone. Had no idea. But once again, that has to do with my Enneagram a little bit that we'll talk about in a minute. Had head stuck in the sand, working, not understanding what was going on. And I come home and she's gone. So my mom has to relive this. Uh, they're living, you know, they're 20 minutes away from me. And so for the next few years, it's just like get one foot in front of the other. Just survive. Because at... 25 years old, I'm divorced. With a son, we have joint custody, uh, and I'm literally surviving. Uh, it, was, it was literally like, you know, remember I grew up in this naive, ideal, idealistic culture, and the girl I married, her dad was an elder. His dad was an elder. This was a first in their family. Long story short, Another couple at our church, she connected with the guy, another couple at our church. And so that's kind of what, that's what happened. But, you know, I definitely had fault in it. There's no question. I'll get, I'll get to that in, uh, in a minute. Uh, a lot of fault, actually. Um, so the divorce became final one year after that. So it was 1987. We got married in 83. So I guess it was the fourth year the divorce was final. She left home after the third year. Adam was born after the second year. Okay, next part of the story. There's this wonderful lady who's really good friends with Mama and really good friends with my mom. Her son and I played golf and basketball together all through high school. She cut my hair. So I used to go to her house. She cut my hair. Her name was Joyce. And so she had been telling me, I don't know if it was six months after the divorce. I, did, I can't remember. Shortly after the divorce, even though I'd been separated for 13, 14 months before the divorce was final. She goes, I've got somebody I want you to meet. And I said, I don't want to meet another female the rest of my life. And it's the way I felt at that time. I'd been burned, hurt so badly. Um, then after a period of time, I said, okay. I never even asked her who it was. I had no idea. Maybe I should have thought of one. No. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so I finally went back and I said, okay, who is it you have in mind? I think I'm ready. She said, Deanna Bonner. And I said, oh, I remember her. I was a senior in high school. She loves this story. When she was a freshman in high school, I'm way older I am. So I said, oh, I remember her. She was a cheerleader and a good athlete. And so I said, I remember her. She goes, okay. I'm going to set it up. I said, okay, so we set it up. I met Deanna on a Sunday night at church. At, they went to White Station Church of Christ. So I met her on Sunday night. So we dated literally for, I don't know, we only dated 13 months and got married the following April. And we've now been married 31, almost 32 years. 32 years coming up that you've put shocking. up with me. That is shocking. It is shocking. <laughs> um Rachel, our oldest daughter, was born in 19... So we got married in 1990. Rachel was born in 93. Becca was born in 95. Um, Deanna and I... 97. I, I got that down right. I just said it wrong. Rachel, 95. Becca, 97. Deanna and I are both foot to the pedal, gung-ho, 
pretty much about everything. Okay. We're, we, we actually had a minister when we first started, first got married at Browns Road. His name was Mike Ireland. Uh, he preached in Searcy when I was at Harding at, at the, I forgot, what, I forget West End or something church. I forgot what the name of it was that I went to. Uh, he goes, now, how didn't y'all get married again? Because <laughs> he was like, we're just, we're both such strong leaders. Usually, you, know, you have opposites in a marriage, but we're such gung-ho pedal, foot to the pedal, down to the floor, going as fast as we can go. Uh, and we were really into what we were doing in our jobs. Uh, and I think we would both say that the first 10 years we were married was really hard. We both brought a lot of baggage. Both brought a lot of baggage. I brought a non-trusting, you know, after what I'd been through. She'd been through other things, you know, and with her Enneagram, when we get to that in a minute, you'll understand a little bit better. Uh, but the first 10 years was a battle for both of us. Uh, I loved coaching at Bartlett High School probably too much, you know, and I love being there. I told you I spent 19 years there. We won our first state championship in 2001. Um, but after, after 2003, my son graduated. He actually played for me. He went to Harding Academy through eighth grade and then begged me to come to Bartlett to play for me. And that was a real struggle for me to get him out of Harding Academy to come play at Bartlett. Uh, I was worried he wasn't good enough, for one, because uh, our team was good. And I, I just worried about that. But he, my dad convinced me he's better off with you. So he came to Bartlett. And so he played, with, played for me for four years there. I'll come back to that part of the story later. Uh, in the fall of 20, 2003, Adam went to Lipscomb. Uh, that's a story in itself. He was supposed to go to Auburn, but he ended up at Lipscomb. Um, and we transitioned. That, that year when I went back to school, I'd already, Rick Bird was a good friend of mine at Belmont, and we, I'd already talked to him about getting into college coaching. And so we had worked it out that I was going to be hired by Rick the following year to come work at Belmont. Deanna was in a transition at work where she was doing a lot of commuting to Nashville, okay, uh, working with Sarah Cannon, so an HCA. So we were in that transition. I get back to school the year Adam graduates because one thing you have to remember is there were a number of those kids I'd coached since they were in kindergarten. Bartlett was a small community. I'd coached some of those kids kindergarten through 12th grade. They all graduated. I get back to school. They're all gone. And I'm looking around going, what am I doing? My heart was not there anymore. It had left. So I called Rick Bird. And I went home and talked to him. I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think I'm checked out. I can't do one more year. And so I called Rick Bird. We worked it out for me to come to Belmont that year. So fast forward, Deanna's still in transition at work, trying to make that work. We've decided we're going to move to Nashville, and I'm going to go to work at Belmont. Um, then I get to Belmont, and I'm transitioning because our kids are they're in school. We we kind of kind of finished here. The house we were going to get was being built, so it was it, it was a year long basically transition. I'm commuting back and forth to Belmont as much as I can. I officially moved there. I remember December 31st, okay, and um, I lost my track down. I moved there December 31st. They came in April the following year, okay. Um, so just make the end of the transition. I left from Belmont. I went to Lipscomb University. I worked with the basketball staff there for four years. Then I went to Innsworth. 
which is entry story for five years. And I ended up and retired from Brentwood Academy uh, from coaching a couple years ago. I spent six years coaching at Brentwood Academy. Okay, the Enneagram. Okay, talking about the Enneagram. I'm a one, wing nine. Anybody know what a one wing nine is? Familiar at all? Okay. Here's the one wing nine. Judicial, rational in behavior, calm and balanced from other types, unusual desire for justice, equality, can see both sides of an issue easily, strong sense of right and wrong. That goes back to my rule follower. Fears, being unethical and corrupt. Avoid, I wanted to avoid making morally wrong choices. I'm objective but emotionally reserved. Uh, the desire for, any, for Enneagram 1 Wing 9 is to be more <coughs> good, advocate for the rights of others. The optimist redirect their emotions when they, when they, when they, negativity, I, I don't like negativity. I remember telling Mamma one night, I don't know why you watch all that news. It's all negative. Don't watch all that stuff. And about two weeks later, she goes, I've quit watching some of that stuff, and I feel better. I said, because it's all negative. I don't like negativity. I'm, I'm, I like positive. I like, I'm an optimist. But because of that, sometimes the bad side of we just plunge deeper into our work and block reality out uh, and withdraw. So, in summary, advocate for change and justice, pursue what they believe is right, make rational, objective choices, desire love and admiration from others, seek awareness and understanding of the world. We're highly focused and consistently abiding by logical worldview. My wife is an eight wing nine. Okay? Eight wing nine. Um, confident, patient, super protected, fear of being hurt by others, avoid situations in which they have less control, always want to be in positions of leadership so they don't have to listen to anybody else. They want to lead. And she's a great leader. They guard themselves against threats. They're independent at a young age. They build emotional walls, denying vulnerability. They appear very strong. They don't like taking orders from others. They struggle to share emotions. Fear of being controlled is probably the one that jumps out the most. Uh, loves independence. Energetic and confident, leading, protecting, attention to the needs of others. So you can just listen to some of those and go, okay, now how does that work? <laughs> well, it was hard. for 10 years it was really difficult, okay? Really difficult for us to kind of understand these things about each other. Um, we started studying the Enneagram probably just in the last 10 years with our girls brought it to our attention. They had studied it in a class, I think, at church. Or, and so they brought it to our attention. And so we have a, we have a phrase in our house. I have a phrase. Not we. We don't have a, I have a phrase. Frequently wrong, never in doubt. Okay? <laughs> Frequently wrong, never in doubt. Now, Deanna will argue, not frequently wrong. <laughs> okay? Being an A. I would argue she got that honestly. You know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> you got to remember that I lived in a house with Mamma. She'd been with us 15 years, I think. 
Deanna, Rachel, and Rebecca. And they're all super strong. Super strong, independent. So I was glad when my oldest daughter married, so then I had another guy to help me fight the battles, you know, so I'm not by myself. Um, okay. Faith journey. Here's really the part of the story I want to get to. I told you when I was young, I grew up in a very strong and legalistic faith. My mom, if you talk to her to this day about, tell me what the Bible says. What do you think about this? She's very emphatic. Like, she knows what the rules are. But here's what I learned about my mom. When you say, well, tell me, mom, my cousin Pat, and do the same situation. Oh, oh, that's different. That's different. I remember that story. We talk about something in the Bible, and it was black and white. So I grew up thinking everything was black and white. Now it seems to me like there's mostly gray. <laughs> when I look around, it's just a lot different than what I grew up with as a kid. But my mom, when it came to people, changed the way she talked about it. When it was people that she knew and loved, that's how she exhibited grace. I never heard about grace growing up. I don't ever remember hearing a sermon. I hear I remember hearing hellfire and brimstone sermons as a kid. But and I never really heard about grace and really understood about grace. I didn't even start understanding about grace until I met Deanna. And Sue, we used to talk about grace. And and she would ask me questions. And I would have emphatic answers, but she made me think. So that was when I began, you know, that was some steps. There were steps along the way, and I'm going to go through those steps. Um, when I was, I told you I didn't have a dad for my first eight, eight or nine years of my life. My, my mom would always have me go to my biological dad's mother's house, okay? My biological father, his father had passed away. But my, my grandmother on my biological dad's side, I, I went to her house at least every other week. She lived in Coogville also. So my mom was really good about me spending time with both my grandmothers. And I remember she was always giving me literature about my dad to read about what all he had accomplished in golf. And I used to be the pro at Pinehurst. He was a pro in New York and all these things. But when I was really young, and I can't remember the age, probably five or six or seven, uh, I read an article where it said he had no children. Crush me. She didn't catch it, or she would have never had me read it. But that was probably the first time I realized that I didn't have a dad. I hadn't really thought about it because I had so many uncles. My mom had five brothers and one sister. So my uncles were like, they were like dads to me. They took care of me. I didn't feel it until I read that. And then that, that was the first kind of turning point to me to realize, okay, I, this isn't a normal situation. Um, I told you my mom remarried when I was nine. We moved to Memphis. Um, the second major crisis and turning point in my life, obviously, was when I went through my divorce. Never thought it would ever happen to me Never thought I would ever be in that situation. In our, I was going to church at Browns Road Church of Christ at the time, and it's hard when you go by yourself. You know, I was I was there, just like I was taught. I was there three times a week, just like 
I did when I was growing up. And I remember the class we were studying was Job. I remember, I want to say the guy who taught the class was Steve Link. I want to think that's his name. Uh, he was a Harding guy, university guy. And, and so while I was going through it and I was, going, I was doing the why me, why me, why me part, we started studying Job. And it really got my attention because I thought I'm going through nothing compared to what Job went through. And so I just prayed and prayed that somehow God would show me how he was going to work through this. I had no idea how it was going to work. I could not see any future at all. I just took one step at a time. Talking about blind trust. It's the only thing I had. I didn't have any choice. Everything I did, I poured into my, my, my work, my son, and church. That's all I had. And I went full blast that, and everything else was non-existent. And so I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. The passage that, that has always been on my mind from a kid on, and then it became our family motto, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because there's a lot of times in life you can't understand what you're going through. Um, in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. And so I just confi- you know, I just had to live out that verse knowing, all right, He told me I'm not going to understand, but just trust and so that's what I tried to do. Uh, I met Deanna in, in, and, we, and we were married in 1990. And you know how ones and eights are. I was telling you this earlier. Ones think eights are crazy and reckless. Eights think one have a stick up the room. Okay? <laughs> so... Those first 10 years were, you know, we're doing a lot of fighting. I remember us telling each other a number of times, I don't know how in the world God brought us together, but we knew he did. And there's a lot longer story that I won't go into about how that happened. Um, but we knew God had brought us together. And we knew that there was something down the road for us. We just had to get through those times. And I can honestly tell you, looking back, after those first 10 years, every five years after that got better and better and better and better. And uh, I always tell people when I know other couples that are struggling and stuff, I can say, I promise you, if you weather the storm, it'll be worth it. It'll be so worth it. You'll be so glad you did because God will bless that. And uh, I, he, we both know that he did that with us. Um, the fourth major, that was the third big turning point in my life. The fourth major turning point was my son Adam. Adam played for me in high school, and I was really strict. Bartlett was a public school. I'm trying to think. It's kind of like a, for lack of a better word, a poor man's Brentwood High School. Okay, it was a suburban school. It was 98, 97% Caucasian. You know, it was, um, it was a very family-oriented city at the time I was coaching. And Adam had played for me, and I was really strict. We did, kids didn't have, they didn't, they didn't have funny hair colors, they didn't, they didn't wear earrings, they didn't do anything, because that was back when it, all that first started going on. Um, so I was really strict. I had some friends that lived out of town that thought we were a private Christian school when they saw our team because of the way we looked and dressed, because that's how I was trying to train them. So on our anniversary, one of our anniversary nights, 
Adam, when he was 17, walks in in April to where we're eating dinner. And Dan had already warned me, hey, you might just want to take a couple of deep breaths tonight. It's going to be okay. So he walks in with two earrings. End of the world. Yeah. But, that time, <laughs> but if you remember, our, our rule on our team was the kids couldn't wear it on our team. We had a team rule. And so I look back and think it's stupid now. But at the time, you know, that's what we were doing. And so through that rebellion, he was crying. The long, the short story of that is he was crying out for my attention, and I was so busy coaching that I let it slip. So a couple of days later, he dyed his hair what I would what one of our friends called school bus blonde. He was dark hair, and he had school bus blonde. So the the hard part of all that was he broke our team rules. He couldn't be on our team anymore. I had to kick him off our team. He was my own son. He moved out of our house. He was living with both his mom and us. He had clothes at both places. He was going back and forth a lot. So I had to dismiss him from our team. I remember coming home every afternoon crying myself to sleep. It seemed like every day for such a long period of time. But it ended up not being that long. You know, that was in April by the time school started, what's that, five, six months later, he was begging to come back and play our team. And he and I had already started trying to meet once a week and talk through what, what had happened. But he, he was trying to get my attention. And as he says today, because we have a really good relationship today, he says today, he goes, I know I did it in the wrong way, but I had to get your attention. So he did. He got my attention all right. But we started rebuilding our relationship. He asked to come back. He, he ended up playing our team as a senior. I told our coaches, he's not starting. They go, you're nuts. He's one of our best players. So, so I listened to them, luckily, and he started. Of course, we had a great year and had a really great senior year. He, and he ended up going to Lipscomb after that. But that was a real trial. And that wasn't the end of it. We had, we've had some other things that we've had to work through. But I can tell you today, because we've worked through them, our relationship is, is, I would say, it's the best it's ever been. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for, for how that's worked out. Um, so when we moved to Nashville, one thing you have to remember is I was so into my job at Barlett, and I knew everybody. I'd grown up basically in Memphis. Every gym I walked in, I knew everybody. I mean, I'm talking to everybody there, you know. Uh, everywhere I went, I knew everybody in town. And basketball is really important in Memphis. So we moved to Nashville. I'm coaching college at Belmont with Rick, and then I go to Lipscomb for a few years. Then I get hired to coach the boys at Ensworth High School. So I take that job. Not going to go into that long story. I ended up coaching the girls. Had no idea that was going to happen. Would have never done that, but it ended up being such a blessing. That was the next crisis in my life. That Now I'm coaching in a place where nobody cares at all about the team, except the girls, their parents, and Dr. Frist. <laughs> Dr. Frist from HCA. He loved, every time I saw him, how are girls going to be? <laughs> I'm like, he's the only one cared. <laughs> I go into games, nobody's there. Parents are there. And I'm used to walking to the gym and it being full. We played, it was packed. So now all of a sudden, I'm like, why in the world did God bring me to Nashville 
to coach for, they don't care about basketball here. In Memphis, they do. Well, it was because it wasn't about me. <laughs> it was about the kids. And the lessons that I learned, I got to coach my daughter, my youngest daughter. Uh, the last year I coached at, at Innsworth, we won the, like, won our, that was our, we won twice two state championships there. So we won our third one with her. We won our last 27 games. And I got this great picture of she and I embracing at the end of the game. And she didn't even like basketball that much. She was a good player, but she didn't like it that much. She played because of her friends. But she says, she was a volleyball player. She loved volleyball. But she says her favorite moment in high school was that time. In Which her is life. Right. Her favorite moment in her, in her life. life was that moment that we won the state championship we embraced after the game. Because she was a point guard. Yeah, he's the one that hired me. At Innsworth, yes. He was going to let me coach the boys, but somehow he switched me to the girls. It's a long story. <laughs> so, but, but what I learned at that time, Deanna used to talk about the word impact. What I learned about coaching, and it really I had a paradigm shift to where it switched from being nothing about me and all about the kids. And I had an ego. I mean, I think coaches have egos, you know, that I wanted to be the best. I wanted to... I want people to know we were the best and all that. And, you know, I, I, I changed from it being anything about me to it being totally about the kids and the impact of those girls. I still remember getting on a girl one day at practice, and the next day at school I walk in and I get confronted by a bunch of kids. I heard you got on Susie yesterday. And I'm sitting there going, how in the world could you possibly know that, you know? And, but you know, kind of girls kind of talk a little bit. You know, you got to talk. <laughs> Guys, they don't say anything. They don't say anything. You know, you coach them, you get on them, they don't say anything. How's practice? Fine. Walk back. Girls, oh, let me tell you what he said to me today. You know? So I learned about impact, and it made me a much better coach for my next stop. So a few years later, Brentwood Academy comes open. They call me. Long story short, Oh, I've got to wrap up. I, I go to Brentwood Academy. It's, it's the most favorite job I ever had. I, I was running a Christian school with, with, Deanna argues this, but some people that actually really cared about it. She doesn't think that's necessarily true. But we had such a great time there. I, uh, we, they, they had seven straight losing seasons when I went there. And now my whole focus had changed. Nothing about me. It's all about the kids. What can I do for the kids? How can I help them be all they can be? And I kind of took a back seat to them, and I became a much better coach because of that. Uh, my faith grew. I was allowed to be who I was at a place like that. We won our fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh state championships there. Probably helped that I had a kid named Darius Garland playing for me, you know. <laughs> that probably was uh, had a lot to do with it. Won, we won four straight with him. Uh, such a great kid. Uh, Who plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers? He does. He made the All-Star team this year at 22 years old. Great. <laughs> Going to see him in two weeks. Can't wait. Uh, as I wrap up here, I retired in, in 2019 in the fall. Deanna got asked in the summer, actually, to be the board chair at Pepperdine University. And so she came to me and goes, I would love to do this, but if you're going to coach for a long time, there's no way I can do this because we'll never see each other. And so I said, okay, let me think. She already known I was sitting there talking about, do I want to keep doing this for five more years because I had to kind of start over again with a new group or do I need to get out? And the bottom line, I prayed about it, prayed about it, and I decided, you know what? 
and this is this is true. She had worked and served me for so long and all the coaching stuff that a coach's wife has to go through. It was time for me to support her. So I retired from coaching in the fall of 2019. Never regretted it one day. We had been praying for God to give us a ministry together. We'd always had our own. She has her ministry at Sarah Cannon, the people that she serves there. I'd always had my ministry with my teams. We had really never had a ministry together. We prayed and prayed that we would have a ministry together. And we were over a year into her being the board chair at Pepper and me going out there before I, I looked there and said, oh my gosh, this is our ministry together. And he put us in. So I'm really active at Pepperdine. I get called from Harding all the time. I just don't answer the phone. <laughs> I got a lot of friends there, but I'm so invested in Pepperdine. I love the people there. I love the university. I love the president. I love what they stand for, and I love what they're trying to build there. And I feel a big part of that in a contributing factor in helping her be the board chair at Pepperdine as well as be the... CEO at Sarah Cannon and all that she does. And so God has blessed us in so many ways. My, my theme through my life and my journey has changed to James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I didn't get into that as much as I really wanted to. But I was so judgmental early. Hurt me in my first marriage. I didn't know that's what I was. I didn't learn about grace and mercy until I met Deanna and them all. But the transition in my life now is where I try not to judge anything. I just try to go, you know, I've watched The Chosen. I love those. If you've never watched The Chosen, watch it. It's unbelievable. I've watched both seasons. It's out right now. And Deanna said to me one time, she goes, I hope Jesus is like that. And I said, I think he is. I think he is. Mercy over judgment. And that's been my transformative transformation through my spiritual journey is I'm way less about being right now and focused on I don't know let God make that decision and just the show let's just love everybody just love everybody and show mercy to everybody our kids are doing great my youngest daughter's at UMass getting her double major uh, she graduated from Pepperdine two years ago my oldest daughter works as a missionary in Uganda, Africa. She and her husband have a 15-month-old son. They're at our house this month. They're going back to Uganda in August. They're going August, April. They're adopting. We just found out we're going to be new grandparents again. They're adopting a three-and-a-half-year-old girl named Hope. Uh, we can't wait to see her when we go in October. She'll be about four years old. We get to see her. Uh, can't wait for that. Uh, my son Adam is a consultant Allstate. He and his lovely wife, Nikki, have a, we have a five-and-a-half-year-old grandson named River who I get to pick up at least once a week, if not more. And uh, we have a very close-knit family that's here. And I am so blessed in so many ways. And I'm so thankful that God worked through me in all the hard times to help me get me. He had to work hard to get me to where I am today. And I'm thankful for Deanna and Sue and all the, the relationship that we have and the mercy triumphs over judgment. And I hope that something I've said today helps you on your faith journey. And I'm out of time or I would ask questions. Thank you so much. You mean it was well worth the wait. So. <laughs>